0: Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to explore the many ways COVID-19 can create positive changes to our educational systems. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Charles Williams, principal of Plato Learning Academy in Chicago, Illinois. Before we begin, I wanted to say that we met our goal and $200 has been sent to Letizion Humphrey Ballantyne from episode 12. Although graduation is not going to look like what we expected when we recorded, I know Letizion will find a way to make sure the kids who need it get the money. So thank you to everyone who is willing to match my donation, or even just to share Letizion's beautiful message of giving. As for this episode's guest, Charles Williams and I spoke at the end of March, as many schools were figuring out what education was going to look like in the coming days, weeks, and months. His perspective comes from being a principal in one of the many Chicago public schools, or as he refers to it, CPS. My perspective comes from being an educational podcaster, as well as being a person who has a special aptitude for worrying about the future. Like many of my interviews during this pandemic, it did not follow the orderly set of questions that I had gotten used to asking educators about their practice. Instead, it became a conversation about how Charles and I hope educational institutions can be transformed. Before we began recording, we had been joking about the various methods of communication we had each been trying out, and that topic quickly launched into talks of possible positive change. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and if you have anything to add, please feel free to contact us to share your insights. It really amazes me the way that we don't think super critically about communication, even in education where communication is our goal. We don't really think about delivery in the way of time or method in the way that we've been forced to recently, which if there is a silver lining, I guess this could be one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I know, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen, but I do these like, you know, parking lot thought videos every morning and, and I, recently, it's just been a string of talking about the changes, I think, that can come out of this, right? I, I, I'm calling it positivity and disruption. And I think there's so many things that are, are stemming from this, you know, the, this whole crisis that it's like, if we go back into education and we keep doing the things that we've always done, like we've done ourselves a huge disservice.
0: I mean, might as well jump in. What? <laughs> <laughs> What do you see the best changes coming from having to go through this?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily that they're coming, but I what I hope that comes out of this. So the one thing that I was just talking about was that I know here, at least in Illinois and in CPS, we've waived, you know, all of the end of year testing. So we won't be doing uh, the Illinois assessment of readiness. We won't be doing MAP testing. And while I, I agree with that to an extent, I think the the philosophy behind not doing the testing isn't for the right reason. You know, for me, assessments should be used to guide instruction for that purpose only, right? The the reason why we're canceling all of these assessments isn't because it's not important to figure out how students are going to end the year, you know, how we could use that data for summer planning, but we're canceling them because they're used for evaluative purposes, and, and that's what's said. And so, you know, I think that one of the things that stems from this is this idea that if we can cancel it, and you know, the world keeps on spinning, then <laughs> we, right, maybe maybe we should reconsider how we're using assessments overall. I know that I've had many conversations with the individuals from NWEA, and you know, they stress time and time again that. Their assessment is not supposed to be an evaluative tool. It is supposed to you know show students strengths and weaknesses and be used as a guide for instruction. And that is it. And so they get really upset and I you know, and I don't know if anybody has come out and said, but every workshop I've been to, every conference I've been to, I've asked the same question just to see if it's consistent, and everybody I've spoken to says the same thing that it shouldn't be used for that.
0: And yet it consistently is.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, and I can't speak for other places, but I know, you know, in CPS, absolutely. I mean, you know, if it's not used the right way, all of a sudden that student is viewed, you didn't hit your end of year score. And so like nothing else matters, you know, and that's unfortunate for that student who has worked so hard, you know, who has maybe hit that goal earlier in the year, but now at the end of the year, maybe they missed it by even a point and now nothing matters. According to the evaluation system, nothing counts. And it's really disheartening to look at it that way.
0: Yeah. And I I imagine that depending on how hungry your student is, whether or not their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them before they went into that test and whether or not they're able to master the technology of it, like all those things, they might call it an adaptive test, but no one's adapting to the student and their mood and, and their facility to interact with the test.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. And it's one of the things, you know, again, that I I think just surrounding assessments, you know, our our staff members know and, and, you know, if it's a regular test, and I've told my staff this, right, if if you're administering a test and a kid comes in, and you know, that kid is not in the right frame of mind to take that test, don't give them the test that day. I mean, there's, there's nothing right. I, I still think it's weird that we have this idea that Fridays are test days. Right? There's nothing anywhere that says we have to operate that way. And so if you really want to know what the student knows, which is the purpose of the assessment, and you know that, like you said, that kid had a fight with mom that morning or maybe they haven't had breakfast, you know, are you really going to get the information that you're looking for or is it going to be tainted by these other factors? And so I, I think if if anything, right, one of the things that should stem from this disruption that we've experienced, is, you know, utilizing assessment in a vastly different way. Um, I, I think going back to how it should be used, you know, from the beginning.
0: What What are some other things that you think we might be able to take away from this in a positive light?
1: So, you know, one of the other things that is stemming from this, obviously, um, and and I was talking about this one today, is this idea of just what the school day looks like. Here in CPS, we're still on emergency days. So we're not online learning. It's not remote learning. They're considered enrichment days. And so the activities provided to students are not mandated, but instead encouraged. And so this entire week, um, and actually moving forward, I have scheduled check-ins with all of my students, all of my staff. And just making myself available in the mornings to just see how they're doing, answer questions, you know, just just to touch base, which has been really fulfilling, I think, both on their end and for me as well, to be honest. But the other day I had a parent who who was very upset with her child because, you know, they didn't want to spend eight hours on the computer. And so I had to have a conversation with mom and I said, well, first of all, you know, we're, we're not in school for the eight hours, one. Two, I said, not the entire time that we're in school are we receiving instruction. I said, you know, we you have to consider we have periods for enrichment activities like PE and art. You know, we have time for lunch and recess. I said, so there's those breaks. And I said, you know, the, the other side of this is that – I, I, I worry about and I know this is kind of stemming into another area, but the idea of trying to provide new instruction, you know, during this time frame, because students learn in vastly different ways. And I don't know if we are there yet, but to provide enrichment activities so that way students stay fresh with the information that they have. And so my suggestion to mom was, you know, if she if the child spent about an hour in each of the four subjects each day, you know that that should be plenty. And I said, not even a straight hour. you know maybe the child works for 30 minutes and takes a break or you know whatever that child is ready to do. and I think they' are obviously it's going to depend on the age and maturity of the child, but there, there's that self-regulation. I, I always get upset with the hypocrisy of what you know educators demand of their students. But then they expect during, say, staff meetings and PDs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just it baffles me. Like, you don't want to sit there for an hour and a half listening to me babble on. Why do you expect that from your students? You know, we, we, we are all human. We all need to move. We all need to be engaged. We need to do these things. And so students are no different. And so we need to be able to consider that. And, you know, I, to be honest, I've already been thinking about how we might toy with our schedule, you know, when we go back to school, not this year, of course, but next year and say, you know, what can we pull out of this? You know, even the morning check-ins. I've scheduled them at nine o'clock and my students are checking in and they're groggy and you know, they're like, Hey, Mr. Williams, can we do check ins in the afternoon? And, you know, you have those students who are, are are bright and bushy tailed. That was me. You know, even in a Oh, I was up early, I was ready to go, you know, and then you have other students who function much better, you know, let me wake up, kind of get my day running, you know, get some food, and then I'm ready to go. And, you know, so how can we create, duplicate, you know, in, in our brick and mortar buildings, you know, I think these systems that we're going to see that are going to work very well, you know, and, and I know that there are all these other systems in place, right, that that you know, we need to work together with to make sure that, you know, parents have childcare and that our systems reflect the the work day. And, you know, all of these different things, I'm not, you know, ignorant to those facts. But, you know, when we keep talking about doing what's best for our kids, I I think that we need to use this disruption to implement some massive changes. And, And again, like, we've always been told that education takes forever to change, right? That, you know, it's going to take months and years for all these policies to take hold. But what we've seen are transformative changes within the matter of days. You know, we're not even a day to day with this whole COVID thing; we're we're hour to hour, and so things are changing drastically. And so, I I think that old excuse of it's going to take forever to, for change to take place needs to be cast away and can't be used as a crutch anymore. I think we need to figure out what should be done. For the best interest of our students and, and actually do it and, and we talk about it all the time but I, I don't see a lot of it actually happening so this is our time.
0: The biggest frustration that I've found out of this following various social media and even um, through the news is that all of a sudden everyone's talking about trauma-informed teaching which I think is great and, and fantastic but it it really Annoyed me that this is because everybody is now dealing with covid nineteen that somehow that makes it a legitimate trauma to be accommodated where previously trauma that wasn't as visible or that you personally as an educator had not experienced therefore it it wasn't something that you needed to adapt for and i I really hope that in when we go forward, that we're a lot more aware of all the things that kids are feeling now because of COVID nineteen, which are, are unique in their own way. Sometimes they feel those ways because of so many other things that we have a responsibility to accommodate.
1: You're, you're absolutely correct. You know, I, I keep hearing, you know, people refer to this as the great equalizer. You know, and, and I think regardless of where you're at, obviously some people. It's going to impact differently, but in the reality is we're all going through very similar things right now and, and so when we even talk about education, like you said, you know there are traumas that exist and now everybody wants to talk about it, right when we talk about social emotional learning, you know and, and students struggling, you know, and parents struggling to go through you know losses or just sitting at home and and, and dealing with the family issues, I mean now all of these things are coming. To light, and you know, I I, like I said, you know, at the beginning of this, I really think, if nothing else, this is going to really highlight many of the things that we've often, I think, talked about, or as you know, they've been buzzwords here and there. But it it, it's no longer just conversations, right? We need to move beyond hashtags (laughs) and do something about it, right? That's my hope from this, just. I, maybe that'll be my quote for that, right? Moving beyond hashtags.
0: <laughs> I I like that a lot. Um, so then going backwards just a little bit, um, if you don't mind introducing yourself and saying what your, your role is in education.
1: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, we just kind of launched in, right? Um, so my name is Charles Williams. Uh, I, I am a principal in Chicago. I'm at a school called Plato Learning Academy. It's a charter school serving students in K through 8. Um, and I've been in education for about 15 years now. Uh, next year actually makes 15 Um, And serving that entire time in urban education and working with students K through 12, um, just essentially across the entire spectrum. And then on the other side of that, I've recently launched my own educational consulting company through which I'm I'm writing and blogging and speaking and presenting and hosting workshops and just kind of everything called CW Consulting. Um, And so, you know, just really diving right headfirst into uh, into education you know, all around, so it's exciting. And then, you know, on, on a personal level, you know, I'm a, a father, a husband, uh, a grandfather, and so you know, that's been an exciting time because I'm, I've fortunately, I've been able to spend these last days, you know, at home with my family because everybody's, you know, obviously out of work, um, in school, so we are all just, you know, spending a lot of time together.
0: As a principal and and a a leader. During tough times, what are the things that are in the forefront of your mind going forward? Like, what are you centering in your mind when you're communicating with your teachers?
1: So, I I think this goes back to that just opening it up and making myself available. You know, I'm really big. I I always say, you know, the, the biggest thing I think for leaders is to build relationships. And so, just making sure that I'm available, like I said, you know, every day this week, Monday through Thursday. I sit on Google Hangouts for an hour and I'm available to students, to staff, to their parents. In fact, tomorrow um, we we did this thing. We've done this thing where the last Friday of the month after work, we all go out. And so tomorrow we're hosting a virtual happy hour. So all the staff, we're going to be getting together at five o'clock. And, you know, I I think that's the biggest thing at this point, because the, the reality is we don't have any information to communicate. You know, I I sit through all of these meetings, through all of these webinars, through all of these conversations, and nothing new comes out because everybody's scrambling. And so I I don't want to, you know, scoff at anybody. But the reality is nobody knows anything at this point. And so I don't really have any new information to bring back to my staff and my families. But at this time, I think as a leader, just making sure that they know that I'm here and that I'm available for them. You know, and just listening to their needs and desires, uh, so that way when we figure out a direction that we're going, we know how to move forward. Um, so that that's been the first one, and one of the things. And I don't know about you, you know, but I think we have to be careful as leaders in general, not just in education, about the terminology that we're using. I, I was had a parent on one of my chats the other day, and she was very upset that she was considered a non-essential employee. And that term bothered her, you know, because the the reality is I think a lot of these non-essential employees are those people that are on the front lines for those daily kind of small tasks that I think that we forget about, but that keeps businesses and and organizations running. And so when you label those individuals as non-essential, I think that we as leaders have to consider what that means, right? The implications of that verbiage, because she was really upset. You know, she's a fed aide. And she said, you're telling me that I'm non-essential? Like, if I don't go to work on a regular basis, these kids don't have my support. And, like, I get it. You know, we're, we're existing in a very different environment. But, it, again, it's that label to say you're non-essential. I mean, when we go back to school, you're essential. But you're non-essential. That, that, really, that really hurts. And so I think that just as leaders, we have to be cognizant of how we are communicating, you know, the value that we have of our people.
0: Something that I'm really keeping an eye on during this time, personally, is what is being centered as the most important and what is being dismissed as something that can be dismissed, basically. So when it comes to things like standardized testing and the fact that we're able to say, okay, that can go to the side, I'm like, good, this is a great lesson for everybody that we don't need that. But then when people are also saying, oh, but we can put adaptations and modifications to the side, too, it's like, no, let us never create this precedent or tell anybody that that is an OK thing to do, because we're all going to be looking back to this time to see what was essential and non-essential. And if we put our our most vulnerable students as non-essential to the learning mission, we are creating a precedent that is going to impact us for years to come.
1: You know, absolutely. And, and, and I think the same goes for, and I hope, right, again, if we're talking about things that come out of this, is just the value placed on educators, right? We've always known that there's a tremendous value there. We see it in other countries. But I guess the the value that's placed on educators that is reflected through, you know, pay and, you know, everything else, it, we don't see it here. Um, and it, it, it's highly varied, right, From from state to state, from district to district. Um, but what I'm seeing, and I kind of laugh, right? I see all these tweets where parents, and you know, just the news the other day, there was this whole segment about you know parents not knowing how to handle their kids and teach their kids for you know hours each day. And I'm like, guess you know, we we kind of do that every every day, <laughs> you know. And so I, I, I'm hoping, if nothing else, that people understand the the true role of educators and, and the school systems and you know when decisions are being made moving forward again we look back and say hey you know kids weren't functioning so well just sitting in front of a computer right kids were expressing they want to be in classrooms they want to be with their teachers and, and utilizing right that feedback you know when policies and all of these things are being made all these decisions are being made to say you know what this, this is critical, right? There, there really is significant value there, and, and to show that appreciation, to reflect that value, and it's not just, right, not just in pay, but in, in a variety of ways. Because, you know, I, I don't know where this country would be, you know, or, or any country for that matter, you know, without educators, because we, we kind of make sure that every, all those other jobs exist. So
0: that's when I really hope sticks in, because I know that at the end of August. Almost every year you start getting the tweets from parents being like, teachers are saints they, we couldn't do without them. Can't wait for my kids to go back to school. And then when they go to vote, it, our teacher's salary and prestige don't really change. So maybe something of this magnitude is what actually gets that change in gear. What would you say is something positive, even from just the small amount of covid be, being at home, that you you talked about having spending time with your family. Is there anything else that's positive that has come out of this for you?
1: I think just I, I see a, a heightened sense of collaboration. I mean, I, personally, uh, this is kind of what I do all the time. You know, I'm always on Twitter. I'm always like throwing myself out there and trying to connect and collaborate. And so I think, again, if if anything that else that has come out of this is this heightened sense of we need to rely on each other because we're, we're all venturing into uncharted territory. And so we're relying on one another to say, Hey, how are you dealing with this? You know, have you encountered this? And, and so just really that way, no, nobody feels alone. I, I think, you know, we, we often talk about that in education is that, you know, we're in isolation or we're in these silos. And, you know, again, people talk about, Oh, the need to get off your Island, but it never happens. But I think, again, now more than ever, that's actually happening. People are saying, I can't sit in my house. I, I can't, you know, kind of venture into this unknown alone. And, and so just reaching out and, and connecting with people. And so I, I think that is one of the other positivities that has evolved from this disruption.
0: And in terms of parent communication, you, you mentioned that you're on Google Hangouts. Do you find that you're getting more parent, not FaceTime, but voice time than you are during a regular school year?
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually. um, So I, I often have joked because we host parent meetings, right? And I mean, there have been the parent meetings where I've sat in our little, uh, you know, meeting space by myself for an hour, you know, not a single parent has showed up and it's frustrating you know last night however i put out a survey because there is this thought that we are going to be moving to this remote learning and so i'm trying to get ahead of that curve and just kind of see where we're at you know what's working so far what's not working what do our parents need um and so i sent out a survey and to be honest i sent it out hoping to get you know a handful of responses and when i checked this morning i had 16 responses um, and so I sent it out yesterday afternoon, and, and I know sixteen isn't a profound number, but going from expecting a handful, or I should say hoping for a handful, when I I've received maybe one or two responses in the past, you know, and that's within a week's time frame, to get sixteen in a day is huge. So again, I, I think there's this sense of urgency and need for parents to say I need to know what's going on. I I want to be involved in my child's education. You know, again, I I think just we kind of got into routines, right? You know, we woke up, we went to school, we did our things, we went home and, you know, we just repeated that process day after day, year after year. And so I think a lot of our parents and staff and students, right, everybody just kind of became complacent with the norm. And this has completely disrupted that norm. And so it's forced everybody to say, wait a second, right? That norm is no longer happening. And if I want to make sure that I'm informed and involved and and current, I need to hop on board. Because while we often said that in the past, the reality is nothing was, you know, groundbreaking on a regular basis. It was just kind of Adaptations, right? You know, we we shifted meetings to this platform, or we're utilizing this program to deliver instruction or to enhance instruction. But nothing massive was happening. But now it is, and so I think parents and I mean all stakeholders, right? I think all stakeholders are stepping up and saying, "Wait, we we need to be involved. We need to be communicating because if I get left behind, I really am going to be left behind, and, and I I can't." You know, afford to be in that position.
0: I find that the fact that parents are thinking and engaging really critically in a way that was slowly happening with, for instance, like online portfolios where parents could start seeing exactly what was happening in the classroom. But now having the whole system basically laid bare and we're saying we're just scrambling around it has been really revelatory, like you said, to all stakeholders. And I think that transparency that we don't have this perfect system that we're just going to slot your kid into and they're going to get on the conveyor belt and go, I I think that's hopefully going to make parents a lot more aware in a way that I find that only kids who have profound difficulties with the system have. If you have a kid with special needs who has not been accommodated well, that parent is an expert on education, but their classmates are not.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right, and I think, like you said, you know, it, there's has been this norm, and we've just kind of have moved things along, and you know, parents, I don't know if it was a matter of necessarily trust or a matter of just that's how the system works, right? It's been working for you know the last fifty, sixty years, whatever, you know, and now, like you said, you know, I, I think it's a humbling thing for us as educators to say that we don't know, and 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 that's okay you know, and so now we all need to be hands on yet. You're absolutely right. Those, those students and their parents who did not fit that, you know, norm, right. Those were the ones who like, they knew those were the ones who were in my office, you know, on a regular basis and saying, Mr. Williams, you know, I'm curious about this initiative or, you know, this title and this, that, and, you know, they knew because their child did not fit that, that perfect, that, that perfect slot. And so, yeah, again, I, I think like you said, it, it brings to the forefront we're all in this together, right? And there is that greedy that the great equalizer again that nobody fits because there's no system to fit into anymore.
0: Really wanna thank you for your time and your insight and, and your expertise. If people wanted to find out more about what you're doing, where would they find that information?
1: So yeah, I, I would say that if you wanted to follow on Twitter and Instagram, it is the same handle, uh, at underscore CW Consulting. Uh, Twitter's much more active than uh, Instagram. I, I also have a website, uh, www.cwconsultingservice.com. Um, and then recently I've launched a series you know, on YouTube you know, unfortunately, I don't I don't have enough subscribers yet to have a cool YouTube uh, uh, website, but that can be found, you know, through the through my website. The...
0: And I'll put a link in the show notes so people can just click.
1: Yes. Thank you. On the website, I have an email. And so I treat that email like I do my work email. If you send me a message, if you have a question, whether it's through there, whether through Twitter, I would definitely respond. I think that it is, you know important like i said earlier that we collaborate so you know feel free to reach out i look forward to talking more
0: awesome and i hope i get the. i'm definitely a follower and i i look forward to following everything that happens through this journey and then what happens afterwards so thank you again
1: thank you i, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on here and to chat education it's a definitely a, a passion of mine
0: so there you have it why we need to collaborate, communicate, and most importantly, move beyond hashtags to use this time to institute positive changes. Since we spoke, Plato Learning Academy has transitioned to a remote learning schedule, which you can check out through a link in the show notes. If you want to find out more about what innovative educators are doing around the world, go to lessonimpossible.com. And if you like the podcast, please consider forwarding it to your colleagues and reading and reviewing it on iTunes. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.